headed. Uh, I'm really excited to minister to you tonight. And uh, the reason I'm excited to minister is because, you know, we're going to be here tomorrow night. We're going to be here on Wednesday night. But I just feel it's so appropriate that we start with the men. Because how many know that uh, great things not only rise upon leadership, but they also rise and fall upon men? Are there any men of God in this place? I think if you're going to build a great family, it starts with the men. I believe if you're going to build a great marriage, it starts with the men. I believe if you're going to raise godly kids, it starts with the men. Say amen. If you're going to build a great church, how many know it starts with the men? And how many know this theme of uh, mega men is not just something we came up with, but how many know the ministry of Victory, Victory Outreach International was built on great men, men of great faith? How many of you are grateful for your forefathers? And so that's why tonight I just feel so excited to start uh, what we're going to be doing over these next few days with the men because I feel that you are very strategic. Can you look at your brother and tell him you are strategic? I believe that if we can get the vision inside of you, then the vision can go a mighty long way. I believe that if we can get some change inside of you, somebody say, well, change can go a mighty long way. I believe if we can get the Holy Ghost working in some of you, man, how many of the Holy Ghost is going to start working at your home? It's going to start working at your job. Come on, somebody. How many know what I'm talking about? And I want to just commend every man for coming out here tonight. Because it took a lot for you to get here. Look at your brother and tell him, thank you for coming. Some of you guys had to fight through traffic. Come on, somebody. Some of you had to fight through a bad day. Some of you got, had a bad day at work. Some of you had a stomach ache. Come on, somebody. Some of you got some bad news. Some of you went home and got in an argument with your wife or your kids. Come on, but you're still here. So you should give yourself a good hand. Give yourself a good hand for coming out. Because it takes a lot of guts to be a real man of God. It takes a lot of guts. Can I hear an amen? It just takes a lot of heart. It takes a lot of commitment to come out here on a Monday night, a precious Monday night, a night that you could be resting your feet. Come on, somebody. A night that you could be playing computer games. Talk to me, somebody. But how many know it takes a real man to come to church on a Monday night? <laughs> Amen. And I'm just so excited to minister to you tonight. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14. And I'll tell you, I, I just feel in my spirit that not only are we kicking off uh, this men's training for the next few weeks, but we're really kicking off something that I believe that God wants to do profoundly in this church over the next few days. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 14, when you have it, say man up. All right. It reads like this. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. It says, one day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his armor bearer, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Now Saul was remaining in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron, and with him were about 600 men. And Ahasia, son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing the ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. 
Now, between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. One was Bozes, the other was Senna. One crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Geba. Verse 6. Here's the part where I want you to focus. It says, and Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be. Someone say loudly. Say maybe. maybe. Come on, say it one more time. Say maybe. maybe. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is nothing to prevent the Lord from saving by many or saving by few. Tonight, I want to take this opportunity to talk to you about your personal destiny. I want to talk to you about how your personal destiny is linked to the destiny of our church. And I want to talk to you about how your personal destiny is not only linked to the destiny of our church, but your, the destiny of the church is linked to the destiny of the city. And the destiny of the city is linked to the destiny of victory outreach. Put your hand on your heart and say, I have a destiny. Here's something that I've learned about destiny. I heard a preacher say this a long time ago. He says, whenever you ask God for a destiny, he assigns you a problem. Solve the problem into your destiny. That's a profound statement. Because I, I remember a time in the ministry of Victory Outreach where we had a huge problem. I've been in the ministry now over 20 years, maybe even longer than that. I, I've been involved in ministry, married and involved in ministry over 20 years. I've been pastoring five years. I've been out in the field. I've done a lot for God in 20 years. And I remember a time in our ministry when we really had a big problem. What was the problem? The problem was, will we be able to keep the next generation? Will we be able to raise up the next generation? And our founder, Pastor Sonny, he really had many questions because he wanted to know what was going to happen to some of the men that are in this room. He wanted to know what was going to happen to what is called not the Moses generation, but the Joshua generation. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you are the Joshua generation. He wanted to know if they were going to serve God or not. He wanted to know if they were going to love God or they were going to leave God. He wanted to know if they were going to love the house of God or they were going to leave the house of God. We had a problem in our ministry. He wanted to know, will they serve God or will they serve the enemy? Will they uh, have an encounter with God? And in some ways, I think it was such a great challenge for our founder to be able to, 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 to reach us because, you know, when you think about our fathers, you think about the men that went before us, it might have been a little bit easier to get them saved. And I'm going to tell you why. The reason it was easier to get them saved is because many of them knew they were lost. Talk to me, somebody. They knew they were lost. You went out, you see them on a street corner selling drugs. You told them, you need Jesus. They told you, I know. Talk to me. They're behind prison bars. Come on, somebody. They're on parole. They can't get a job. You go out there. You let them know, hey, listen, Jesus loves you, and Jesus can change your life. You need God. They tell you, I know. Come on, somebody. Their marriage is on the rocks, and, and, and they don't know how to treat their old lady, and their kids are mad at them. Come on, somebody. And you go to their house, and you tell them, listen, man, this is not the way God intended for you to live. Jesus has a plan for you. You're lost. You need Jesus. They say, I know. 
But you know what makes it challenging to reach this generation? Is that our forefathers knew they were lost, but this generation doesn't know that they're lost. Come on, somebody. And let me ask you a question. How do you build a church when you're trying to reach people that don't even know they're lost? Talk to me. See, there's a generation right now in Victory Outreach. There might even be a generation here in, in this city. There might even be a generation of men in this room today that you say, I'm not that bad, Pastor Al. Talk to me. I never did alcohol. I never did drugs. I never smoked. I never beat a woman. Come on, somebody. I never did no crime. I never went to jail. My parents were bad, but I'm not that bad. And let me ask you a question, friend. How do you build a church? How do you build a ministry? How do you reach a generation that doesn't even know that they're lost? Come on, am I preaching in this place? See, friends, I want to, here's the truth. Here's what I want to pass on to you today. If you don't know God's destiny for your life, you're more lost than you know. If you don't know that there is a divine plan from heaven for your life, if you do not know that there's a divine calling, if you do not know that you are not here uh, by accident, but you are here not, uh, you are not here uh, by coincidence, but you are here on purpose, my friend, if you don't know that, then you are lost. You are more lost than you know. And what does God want you to know? God wants to know that he's called you. God wants you to know he's redeemed you with a price. God wants you to know that he paid a heavy price on Calvary, not so that you could come to church and just be cute and sit on a church pew, but God saved you because he wants to put a purpose inside of you, and he wants to use you to reach your generation for God. See, the greatest challenge our ministry has had over the last 15 years has been, will this generation of men, Will this generation of young men understand that God has a plan for them? The greatest challenge we've had in the ministry of Victory Outreach is will they understand that there's a call? Will they understand there's a divine purpose? See, I can speak about this to you today because I've, in, I've been involved for over 20 years in talking to our generation that God didn't call them to just sit behind a television tube or to sit in front of a computer screen or just come and play in the house of God, but God is looking for men that will get serious about his plan and serious about his purpose. So what happened? We had a problem. So our forefathers began to pray. Because how many know the only way you're going to fix a problem is you got to first talk to God about it. They begin to pray. And not only did they pray, but they began to strategize. How can we reach the next generation? How can we raise up a new generation of young leader? How can we raise up young couples? So I remember one day in 1996, I'm at home. I'm running a very small discipleship home in my hometown there in the L.A. area. I receive a phone call from my pastor, Pastor Sonny. And he said, I need you to come to my house. I need to talk to you about something. Now, how many know that when you get a call from your pastor to come to this house, all kinds of things start going through your mind? I think the first thing, I said, man, what? I started going in the Rolodex, man, what did I do? What mistake did I make? Am I in trouble or not? Come on, talk to me if you would have been thinking the same way. But I remember walking into his living room that day, and he's there. He says, I want to talk to you. He says, you know what, man? I want to know, are you and Georgina willing to move from the comforts of your home 
to move from the comforts of your, of your comforts of your known surroundings here in L.A.? And are you willing to answer the call and open up a home for young people in New York City? And I'll tell you something, man. I, 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 I didn't even hesitate. I didn't, I didn't have to hesitate. I was already getting ready. My heart was already in the right place. And I remember looking at my pastor without hesitation and saying, yes, exclamation point, exclamation point, all caps. Come on, somebody. And I began, said, yes, pastor, I would be willing to go. And when my wife and I, we, we gathered our, our one brand new born little girl, three months old, and we packed up a U-Haul and we drove all the way cross country and we opened up the first training center right there in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And you, 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 think about, uh, you think about what the UTC is doing today. I'll tell you, friends, we, we didn't start out that good. We just took the few guys that were living with us. We had, a, you know, a few rebellious, I wouldn't even call them sheep. They were goats. You say, how bad were they? They all had nicknames. We had Shorty, Lalo, Lolo, Lele, Cholo. Come on, somebody. And we just took them with us. And we didn't even know what we were doing. And there was three things that we did not know. Number one. We didn't know what we were doing in the beginning. See, we didn't know what we were doing. But how many know God knew what he was doing? All we knew at that time is, I'll tell you this, when we begin to open up that train center in the East Coast and, and we begin to have chapels, I'll tell you one thing, we didn't, we didn't even know how to preach. I remember I would sit down on a radiator and begin to just kind of have a little sit-around powwow Bible study and, and just share the word of God. We didn't even know how to preach. I remember in those days, Bethel remember, and, and we would tape the, the chapels. In fact, someone the other day showed me on Facebook, hey, I got all your tapes from the chapels when you were the director of the UTC. Now, I would be afraid to listen to that stuff. What? I didn't know what in the world I was talking about. We know what, we were, we know what we're doing today in ministry, but at that time, we had no idea what we were doing. All we knew how to do, friends, was pray. Somebody say pray. Is there any men that believe in prayer in this place? All we knew how to do was pray. And all we knew how to do was hit the streets. Are there any men here that know how to hit the streets, know how to share the love of God? See, friends, God wasn't looking for the most talented. He was just looking for the most willing. So the first thing is we didn't know what we were doing in the beginning. We know what we're doing now. You say, Pastor Al, could you open up a training center in Brazil? Oh, no problem. I'd do it in my sleep. But at that time, we had no idea what we were doing. The second thing is this. Now, I know you were saying, where is he going with this? It's all going to come to a head. Second thing is we didn't know if it would work. You know what makes great men great men? Is when they don't know if it's going to work or not, but they step out by faith anyways. We didn't know if it was going to work, man. We didn't know. You know, my worst nightmare is that we'd go out there to the East Coast and open up a training center and tell everybody, hey, listen, we're training young people. I didn't know what we were training them to do. Come on, somebody, because we didn't have no training ourselves. And we open up a training center and say, come on out here. We're going to train you in some heavy ministry. How are we going to train you in heavy ministry when we don't even know how to do ministry ourselves? Come on, so you can laugh, laugh. It's okay, man. You can laugh. It's all right. We didn't know what we were doing. 
And we didn't know if it worked. We didn't know if we were going to go out there and sacrifice and, and take our children and leave the comforts of home and let go of good jobs and sell our cars and sell our furniture. Come on, somebody. We didn't know if we were going to get out there and all of a sudden open up the doors and nobody was going to come. Nobody would show up and say, I'm not going out there. Why should we follow you? Can I hear an amen? We didn't know if other young people were going to rise up at that time and be also willing to leave the comforts of their home and leave their own bedroom and leave their own job. But one thing we discovered, my friend, is that because we stepped out, other young people around the country also responded. You know what we discovered, man, is there was a hunger, and I still believe there is a hunger in young men that want to answer the call of God. We stepped out by faith. We opened up the doors by faith. We just went by faith, and we trusted God, and because they saw that we were hungry for God, they said if they're hungry for God, we can be hungry for God, too. What was happening in, in that training center? I'll tell you what was happening. We were building an atmosphere. Somebody say atmosphere. We were building an atmosphere. We were building an atmosphere. We were building an atmosphere of prayer. We were building an atmosphere of evangelism. We were building an atmosphere of radical faith. We were building an atmosphere of excitement. Are there any men here that are excited to serve God? Some of you, some of you are not excited. That's okay. But by Wednesday, you're going to be shouting in this place. We were building an atmosphere of victory. We were building an atmosphere of growth. We were building an atmosphere of winning. There were no losers at the UTC. Everybody, well, you may have been a loser, but when you walked through the doors of the training center, because of the blood of Jesus, you were no longer a loser. You were a winner in the house of God. Are there any winners here tonight? We were building an atmosphere. Why were we building an atmosphere? Because, friends, Church didn't change me. Church never changed nobody. You say, what? What are you talking about? Why are they always telling me to go to church then? Let me tell you something, friends. The church ain't never changed nobody. What changes us is the atmosphere. See, a church is just four walls of stone. That's all that is. A, a, a men's home is just four walls of wood. That's all that is. You don't even know what they were doing in that house before you rented it. Come on, somebody. A house never changed no men in the home. Come on, somebody. A church building, I don't care if you're meeting in a bowling alley. I don't care if you're meeting under a tent. I don't care if you're meeting in a banquet hall. I don't care if you got the most beautiful church house and paid multi There's more dead churches in the world. Why? Because the power is not in the building. The power is in the atmosphere. I'm going somewhere with this. What were we doing? We, we didn't know what we were doing, but there's one thing that we learned how to do in youth ministry is we learned how to build an atmosphere. Let me ask you men a question. What would happen if we learned how, instead of learning how to build people, we learned how to build atmospheres? What would happen instead of just sitting people down and giving them a class? And sit people down saying point one and point two. And meanwhile, you're giving them all the points. And they're thinking about what they're going to eat after service. 
and they're talking about what video game they're going to play on Xbox when they get home and they want to beat their score from last night or they're thinking about what's happening on what would happen instead of them thinking about Facebook while you're giving your 1.2 point three point what would happen if as men of God we came to the house of God we're not even going to call it church no more this is the house of God and we say I come to the house of God to build an atmosphere and watch the power of God begin to change people what would happen God. You know what happened at the training center? Word begin to get out. You know what happened at the training center? Word. You know, I never, Bethel knows this, I never had one problem recruiting a director. I never had one person ever tell me no. You know why people tell you no? Because you make it look dead. You know why people tell you no? Because they, you don't even look excited. How am I going to get excited about something you don't even look excited about? I'm preaching in this place. How am I going to go to a church that ain't doing nothing for you? Are there any many in this place that want to experience the atmosphere? Bethel knows I never had a problem recruiting a director. I never had a problem recruiting a staff. I never had one pastor say, I'm not sending someone to help you. I had people waiting in line to get to the UTC. Why? Because we built an atmosphere where the power of the Holy Spirit could move. church to church nowadays is that there's a cross on the church. But you take the cross off, it's just another club. It's just like the lowrider club. It's just like the neighborhood. We're not in the neighborhood no more. This ain't no lowrider club. This ain't the VFW. This is the house of the living God. And lives are being transformed at the house of the living God. Come on and give God a praise right now. If you're catching this, somebody say atmosphere. We begin to see people, even though we didn't know if it would work. We begin to see people coming from not only around the country, but from around the world that wanted to get a taste. Somebody say a taste. What it, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is what? They wanted just a little taste. Just like when some of you were hooked on drugs, you said, give me a little taste. Come on, somebody. I don't need the whole bag. Just give me a little taste. Come on, somebody. And that little taste get, kept you coming back. What if we built an atmosphere where we said, when you come to Victory Outreach Hayward, we're going to give you a little taste, and you're going to keep on coming back. What if we build a church in Richmond that says, we're going to give you a little taste, and one is not going to be enough. You're going to keep on coming back. What if we build a church in Vallejo? Come on, somebody. What if we took the Philippines? What if we took San Jose? Come on, somebody. We got to give them a taste of what God is able to do. And then the third thing is we didn't know what kind of impact it would make. See, friends, we've seen the power of God move in our ministry. But it's time to recognize that God's doing a new thing. There are new problems to solve. There are new issues to tackle. My friend, that was in 1996. We're in 2013. We're almost 20 years away. In three years, we'll be 20 years away from 1996. And some of us are still trying to fix problems that don't even exist anymore. 
What would happen if we begin to tap into the pulse of our city? What if we begin to tap into the pulse of men? I'm talking to you. You could say amen. Let me know that you're receiving this. What if we tapped into the pulse of men? What if we tapped into the pulse of marriages? What if we tapped into the pulse of this hurting, lost generation? What would happen? People wouldn't walk to church. They would run to church. We didn't know what kind of impact we would make. You know what God is saying? He said this to me. He said, I want you to take the same environment that you built in the training center. And I want you to put it in my house. I want you to take the same environment that is in that rehab home. And I want you to put it in the house. Someone tell your neighbor, put it in the house. You know what, man? Let me tell you how powerful this is, man. If some of you are really awake. Are you awake out there? Let me know when you're alive. All right. You know how powerful this is? You could take that atmosphere and put it at your house. And your kids that are acting up, they'll start changing. Your crazy relatives that you've been trying to ask them to move out for months, they'll move out on their own. Talk to me. <laughs> Somebody say atmosphere. What would happen if we had men that knew how to build an atmosphere? What would happen if we had men that knew how to pray? What would happen if we had men that knew how to fast? What if we had came to the banquet and said, hey, we ain't serving food. We're just giving water because we're on a 40-day fast because we're breaking spirits and we're building an atmosphere in the house of God. Come on, somebody. What would happen? Pastor Steve said, where in the world is Haywood? And let me tell you something. People found out real quick because he knew how to build an atmosphere. He knew how to build an atmosphere that built up men of God. He knew how to build an atmosphere that raised up couples. He knew how to build an atmosphere that raised up finances. And he himself and his wife and his children were also a product of the very same atmosphere. It was the atmosphere that he built in the house of God that gave him the faith to go to the Philippines with one paper, with one phone number on it. You ain't hear me in this place. And now we're reaching the Philippines. Come on, somebody. It was the atmosphere that put it in his spirit. It was in the movement of the atmosphere. It's when the Holy Ghost was moving that the Holy Ghost said, Steve, get out of Hayward and go to Cape Town, South Africa. Come on, somebody. And now we have revival. Why? Because it just takes a man that knows how to build an atmosphere. Oh, my. I'm preaching better than you're clapping. I'm preaching. Somebody's shouting this way. Let's have some church. Somebody say atmosphere. What would happen if we had men that knew how to build. You know what I believe we're here tonight, Pastor? We're not, we're in a certain atmosphere tonight. We're in a prophetic atmosphere. Oh, my God. See, 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 sometimes it's the quiet ones you got to watch out for. They don't clap, they don't shout, but there's movement in their heart. Something's going on in here. That's why you better watch out who you're sitting next to because you might be sitting next to the next Pastor Steve. You might be sitting next to the next Pastor Daryl. You might be sitting next to the next Nikki Cruz. Come on, somebody. You might, oh, you ain't hearing me. You might be sitting next to the next Pastor Ed. Because something prophetic is, oh, my God, I feel it strong. Something prophetic is released in the eye. Every time you come into this place, you're not coming to church. You're not coming to a religious exercise. You are coming to hear from the Holy Ghost. You're coming to hear from God. You're saying, Holy Spirit, talk to me. Talk to me.
to me about my marriage. Talk to me about my business. Talk to me about the ministry. Talk to me about the vision. Is there anyone here catching this tonight? Come on and give God a good, good praise right now. Give him a praise. Wow. I can't give it all. I got two more nights. Come on. You catching this? Let's get to the story now. There's three things we can draw from the story very quickly, and I'm going to just kind of bring it in and deal with you a little bit. Is that all right? You feeling open? Three things we can learn from this story we read in 1 Samuel 14. Number one, write this down. People of destiny have the courage to go first. People of destiny have the courage to go first. You know, at Victor Arts San Diego, we have this saying, we have this written into our culture of leadership, and we, we tell people leaders go first. Come on, somebody. We deal with our leaders. Our leaders miss church. We tell them, why were you at church? Leaders go first. Why didn't you go to the streets? Leaders go first. Why didn't you tithe? Leaders go first. Come on, somebody. And you know what people of destiny do? They're people of courage who are willing to go first. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you got to go first. When we look at this story, we find a young leader who is willing to go first. In 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 2, we get the climate of the times. We find there were really two active armies in the story. One of the armies of, a thousand, of 600 men was in retreat. But another army of two wasn't moving backward, they were advancing. So I guess here's the question, what direction are you going? Are you going backward or are you going forward? Because there's two active armies in the church. One's moving backward, one's moving forward. One's stepping out, one's stepping back. One's stepping, one's stepping in, one's stepping out. I'm talking to somebody in this One's in retreat, one's getting the victory. Jonathan, what you find in this story is actually he had become frustrated with the retreating mentality of his father's army. You ever been frustrated? He was frustrated. Because when you study, deeper study, you find that the Bible says there were 600 men with Saul, but actually there was a larger army of 1,000. Somebody say 1,000. But because Saul was unwilling to fight, because Saul was eating pomegranates under a pomegranate tree, 400 choice men said, forget this, I'm going home to my wife. And let me tell you guys something. If men ain't fighting, they want to be in bed with their wife. If men ain't fighting, they want to be making steaks at their barbecue. If men ain't fighting, they want to be working on their personal home business. Come on, somebody. If men ain't fighting, they'll go buy a house. And Jonathan, I'm sure, was part of that same army and said, what's going on here? My dad don't want to fight or what? Maybe I should go home too. See, if you're a leader that's not willing to fight, you should either... 
lead, follow, or get out of the way. Because the longer you delay, the more you're discouraging other fighters. Tanner, this is good preaching. Oh, you won't talk to your neighbor. You're like, I don't even know this guy. If you won't fight, then others won't fight either. Jonathan became frustrated with his father's retreating army. And you know what happened? He stepped out by faith. You see, what we find is that Jonathan actually took the initiative in himself because leaders always take the initiative. Leaders always go first. And you look at me and you say, Pastor, you know, it seems to me like you've got a big message here today. This is the first time I've heard you speak. But I've seen you here and I've seen you there and I've seen your wife preaching the conference and all this type of stuff. What has made you and Sister Regina successful in ministry and life? Can I give you a few little nuggets that have helped us? Write these things down. Number one, we've learned that passion doesn't need permission. Passion doesn't need permission. You know, I have determined in my heart as a leader, as a young man of God, that I would rather apologize than ask for permission. I'd rather step out by faith, and if you don't like it, tell you I'm sorry and keep on moving. Than to sit around under a pomegranate tree and wait for permission from you to go fight. Let me tell you guys something. Can I say something to you guys? Uh, you ain't getting no younger. That's why I looked at Pastor Beth. I said, Beth, we ain't, we're getting old, bro. I'm 40-something. I said, I'm 39. I'm going to be 40 in just a few months. Look at your brother right now. Tell him, you ain't getting no younger. You ain't getting no younger. I see some people. See, you ain't getting no younger. You, you ain't getting no faster. You ain't going to be fighting no MMA fights real soon. You ain't going to be playing for the Raiders. You ain't going to, you know, no, that, that day's over. That day's gone. You ain't getting no younger. You ain't getting no cuter. You ain't getting no stronger. Days are going by. So you've got to determine in your heart, am I going to fight or am I going to stand here? Jonathan said, man, I'm not called to stand under a tree. I'm called to push back the enemy. I'm called to take territory for Israel. I'm called to defend my father's kingdom. Can I hear an amen? And you have to determine in your heart, and you got to recognize that passion doesn't need permission. What have I done? I have determined in my heart as a leader that I'm not getting any younger, and I'm beginning to ask myself, Al, listen, with the years that you're serving God, what have you really done for him? What have I really spent? If, if Jesus went to the cross and died for me and God sent his only son to die for me, did he die so that I could sit here and warm a pew and look cute on Sunday morning? Or did he die so that I could take the message of the gospel to the four corners of the world while I'm in my prime? And I may not be the skinniest or the best looking or the best dressed and not have, I may not have the most money, but I am in my prime. And I want to use my best years for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Tell your neighbor, passion doesn't need permission. The second thing that I've learned is passion cannot be delegated. Oh, God, don't get me started now. Don't get me started in this place. You know what's so frustrating to me about church people? 
I'm venting to you this morning. I'm talking about my church. This may not happen at the heart of the bay. It may not happen in Richmond. It may not happen in Vallejo. Oh, but you know what frustrates me, Pastor? Is when someone tells me someone should hit the streets. Someone tells me someone should go to the prisons. And someone tells me someone should visit sick people in the hospital. Don't you know there's people in our church that are sick in the hospital? Oh, that's frustrating because they're trying to give me the passion in their heart. They're trying to delegate passion to me. And let me tell you something, friend. I will never be as passionate about what God is showing you. You will never get me to be more excited about what God is showing you. And let me tell you why I'm not going to get excited about what God is showing you. Because I have a relationship with God and God is showing me stuff. And I'm spending my life doing the stuff that God is showing me. I'm, oh, you ain't here. I don't got time to be passionate about what you're hearing from the Holy Ghost. You can't delegate your passion to someone else. Let me tell you something. You want to be an effective Christian? Then you have to say, Lord, break my heart with the things that break your heart. Because it's the things that break God's heart that he's going to deposit in your life. Can I hear an amen? It's the things that break his heart that is going to stir up a passion in your life. Can I hear an amen? And there's nothing more frustrating than to hear a Christian come up to me and say, Pastor, you know, someone should go talk to this one. You know what our problem is? Can I, can I get raw and real for a minute? I'm going home in a few days, but can I get raw and real? You know what I kind of feel it is with some of you men? Is that you want the glamorous position. You'll say yes if they're going to send you to Africa. You'll say yes if you're going to preach in the convent. You're going to say yes if they choose you to go on the crusade and pay for your plane ticket and make sure the church prays for you on Sunday. And it's because, because you want to have your ego built up. So you'll, you'll, you'll go around the world, but let me ask you a question. Will you go across the street? Because until you learn to go across the street, you'll never go anywhere else. Until you learn to reach the drug addict that's across the street, you have no business reaching the drug addict that's in Cape Town, South Africa. Until you fill up the men's home in your church, you have no business trying to fill up the men's home in my church. Come on, somebody. Somebody needs to get passionate in this place. I'm preaching better than you're clapping in this place. I'm preaching better than you're clapping. I'm preaching, Esteban. Am I preaching? Somebody say passion. passion. You know what the third thing I've learned? Oh, let me, let me say this. God is looking for problem solvers in the kingdom. Problem solvers. Somebody say problem solvers. See, because in the kingdom, we have a lot of problem identifiers. See, people think they're smart because they can see the problem. But friends, I'm here to let you know, it doesn't take a genius to see the problem because the chances are the problem you see, the guy next to you sees it too. The difference between you and him is that he's not going to say nothing about it until he finds the courage in himself to rise up and fix it. We need men of God in the church that can't just see the problem, but want to step out and fix the problem. We need problem fixers. I tell pastors all over the country, I go and preach in their churches, say, Pastor, how do I build my church? I say, let me tell you something. If you find a problem solver in your church, hire him like that. If you see a problem solver in your church, you see a man that can solve a problem, you see a man that could fix what's happening with this audio thing, and you're trying to get the video done, and it's frustrating the pastor, and it's frustrating some of the members, and why can't they get that? And you find the guy that can fix that, hire him. 
Hire him on the spot. Say, you're on my team. Because I don't need people who can see the problem. I need people who can fix it. Come on, somebody. The third thing is we've learned not only that passion doesn't need permission, not only that passion cannot be delegated, but we've learned that pursuit, somebody say pursuit, is an indication of passion. How do I know you guys are passionate? How do I know that you love God? How do I know you love God's house? Because you're here on a Monday night. I mean, dude, just be real with it, because you could be anywhere in the world tonight. You could be cozy by your fireplace at the house. You could be fixing your rose garden. Come on, somebody. You could be ironing your clothes for work tomorrow. Come on, somebody. You could be at three-day men's suits trying to buy a brand new suit. I mean, you could be doing and you'll be at your kid's soccer game. You could be at a, a baseball game. You could be you could be anywhere in the world. How do I know you're passionate? You're here because pursuit is always an indication of passion. You want to find out what someone's passionate about? Find out what they spend most of their time pursuing. You want to find out what someone's, am I, am I, am I doing okay today? You want to find out? Let me tell you this. You want to find out what someone's excited about? Ask them if you can look into their bank account. Because what they spend the most money on is what they're most excited about. Some men who spend most money on clothes, they're excited about how they look. They're excited about their self-image. But do you tithe? Do you put God, oh, can see? It's real quiet. Just goes, Rah! See, because pursuit, somebody say pursuit, is always an indication of passion. If you're pursuing your wife still and you've been married 15 years, that's a good indication you're still passionate about your old lady. You still buy her flowers. Come on, somebody. When you take her to a restaurant, you don't take her to the McDonald's. Come on, somebody. You don't take her to the taco shop. Come on. You take her somewhere nice. Come on. That tells me you're still passionate or you're in trouble this week. Talk to me. But if you're married and you, you look around, you rubberneck, come on, somebody. You got to check, check your heart. Come on, somebody. Because pursuit is the proof of passion. What would happen if we had some men that pursued God with a greater passion? Good Lord, we could shake this city for the glory of God. Give God a good, good praise today. Come on, clap in this place. I'm almost done. You know, a lot of times we're asking for a move of God. A lot of times we pray. We say, Lord, we need a move of God in our heart. We need a move of God in, in Richmond. We need a move of God in Vallejo. We need a move of God in San Jose. But you know, God's praying. Well, we're praying for a move of God. God's praying for a move of man. God, God, come on, somebody. I'm dropping bombs on some of you today. We're praying for a move of God. We, oh, God, fill up our church. Oh, God, say, no, 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 I need a move of man. I need a move of woman. I need a move of somebody. I need a move of young man. Come on, somebody. I need somebody that's going to come out from underneath the pomegranate tree and say, maybe the Lord can do something in 2013. The second thing you learn from this story, and I'm going to just kind of bring it to a close. You get something today? People of destiny have the courage to go first. But secondly, people of destiny have the courage to move by faith. Somebody say faith. Look at 1 Samuel 14, 6, and I, I just love this scripture. 
And Jonathan said to his young arm bearer, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. And it may be that the Lord will work for us. <laughs> Somebody say faith. It may be. Uh, it may be. It, it may be. It may be. There's no guarantees in the house. There ain't no guarantee. It may be. There's no one going to give you a side. It may be. Ain't no one going to guarantee a seat. It may be. No one's going to give you a title. It may be. Come on, somebody. It may be. <laughs> it may be that the Lord will cause us to fail. No, 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 no. It may be that the Lord is going to help. We're going to fall flat on our face. No, no, no. It may be that we're going to fail. No, no. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Because the Bible says all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It may be. It says for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or saving by few. In their case, too. Somebody say two. God don't need a big army. He just needs a maybe. <laughs> he don't need a thousand soldiers. He just needs a man with a maybe in his spirit. <laughs> My marriage is on the rocks, but it may be. <laughs> If we go to start going to church faithfully, it may be. Uh, my kids are acting up, but if I, if I teach them the, the word of God, maybe the Lord. Come on, somebody. I can't find a job, but I keep on giving. Maybe. Come on, somebody. God's not looking for a massive army. He's just looking for a man with a maybe in his spirit. Is there anyone here that has a maybe in their spirit? you didn't want to come to they didn't want to come tonight they said oh but maybe this guy will god will use him maybe somebody say maybe you know what made our forefathers so great you know what made them so great they knew how to turn a maybe into a miracle maybe this guy will answer his phone I got the ticket money. I got no other money, but maybe this guy will help me get something to eat when I get there. Maybe he has a building. Maybe he can open up some doors. May come on, somebody. Maybe. How many thank God for our fathers that knew how to turn a maybe into a miracle? Pastor Ed, he says, I don't, I don't, I'm not a director, but if I put this drama together, maybe gang members will get saved. Come on, somebody. See, what's going to make us great? You know what the, the, the biggest knock on our generation, and I'm talking about you, is that these men don't think we have faith. That's why they preach that way at the conference. That's why they challenge us. That's why they're saying, what's going to happen with this generation? Because the truth is, these men don't think we have it. They don't think we have the faith. They, they, they see men that are more worried about their job than living by faith. They see men that are more worried about what's God going to do for me instead of what can I do for God in my generation. Oh, you see, you don't like that kind of preaching. But if you want ministry, you need to learn how to turn a maybe into a miracle. What would happen if we had some men in this place that would demonstrate, demonstrate courageous faith in their generation. I'll tell you what would happen. We'll shake the world. I, I, I'll tell you something, man. 
without a doubt in my mind, if we could turn a maybe into a miracle, we would begin to experience the third thing. I want you to write this down. Not only do people of destiny go first, not only do people of destiny move by faith, but lastly, people of destiny inspire other people of destiny. In verse 6, notice that Jonathan looked over to his armor bearer. He said, come, let us go over to these uncircumcised. What was he actually presenting to this guy? It was a suicide mission. I mean, if you study it and, you, and it talks about the Rock Center and Bozes and it talks about Micmac and all this stuff, you will find that the Israelites were at a, a de-elevated position, meaning the Philistines had encamped themselves at an elevated position. If any of you that study war, you know that the best place to be is an elevated position. So they were going uphill. Somebody said uphill. What did Jonathan say to this armor bearer, man? He says, let's go over to the other side and beat these guys with just two of us and one sword. Because if you study that time of battle, you will find that the Philistines took over the metal shops and the people of Israel had to turn their plowshares and their picks and their hoes into weapons because there was only two swords in Israel. Saul had one and Jonathan had the other one. And guess what the armor had? He ain't had nothing. All he had was the task of holding Jonathan's armor while he fought. Come on, somebody. But you know what Jonathan did? He looked over at that armor bearer and he told him, let's go on over to the other side. And you know what the man, without hesitation, he said, let's do it. Let me tell you something, friends. When you are the type of person who's walking in your destiny, you're not going to have any problem finding other people of destiny. Let me tell you something. When you're walking in your destiny and you're walking in the victory and you're walking in your calling and you're walking in the confidence of God and you're experiencing breakthrough upon breakthrough, do not be surprised that people want to hook up with you. Don't be surprised that people start calling you. Don't be surprised that people start texting you. Don't be surprised that people say, hey, you got your marriage together. How can I get my marriage together? Come on, somebody. Hey, you're being blessed financially. How can I be blessed financially? Hey, you look happier. How can I get happier? Let me tell you something, my friend. Skinny people don't talk to fat people about how to lose weight. Skinny people don't talk to fat people and say, what gym you been going to? Because they know that big people can't help them get to their, where they want to be. Because the reality is, is that broken people can't reach whole people. But here's what I want to tell you. When God puts you back together again, you're not going to have any problem reaching broken people and hurting people in your community. Because when you begin to walk in the victory and you begin to walk in your purpose and you begin to walk in your destiny, your phone is going to blow up off the hood. Don't be surprised, business owner, that when you start demonstrating faith, people are going to be asking you for a job. People are going to say, hey, can you hire me? Hey, can I come on board with you? Hey, can I learn how to start? I just start a business. Can I learn from you? Listen, young leader, when God raises you up and you start to build ministry, don't be surprised when older men who've been in it a long time start seeing you break through and say, hey, listen, how did you get the breakthrough? Because if God could do it for you, then God can also do it for me. What gave? 
this armor bearer the courage to step out with Jonathan. He had no sword. But you know what he had? He had confidence to know that his leader knew his God. He saw something in his leader. He, saw, he looked at his eyes and said, this boy's for real. Just like some of you have been watching me before, some of you just checking me out. You're like, I don't know what to make of this guy. See, I'm not really that concerned about you. Because you check everybody out. And you don't trust anybody. But I'm talking to some of you that you see the sparkle in my eye and you say there's something different about this guy that knows his God. And I'm going to open up my spirit. See, this man identified the spirit in Jonathan, and he said, listen, I don't even got a sword, but this guy's confident. No, let's put it this way. He wasn't confident. He was God-fident. Come on, somebody. He knew that he didn't need a 1,000 men to beat the devil. He knew that if God was on his team, he was already the majority. You know what I came to tell you, friend? You don't need all the money in the bank. You don't need all the, you know, the people on your team. You don't need all the book knowledge. You don't need all that stuff. All you need to know is that God is on your team. And if God is on your side, you're guaranteed the victory. You're going to get the victory at home. You're going to get the victory at marriage. You're going to get the victory in your finances. Come on, somebody. And then people are going to want to link up with you. Come on, somebody want that for their life. How many receive something today? Come on and give God a praise right now as they come to the keyboard. I, I believe this. It starts with us. You know, we have to determine in our hearts. I've been pastoring for a while now. I've been doing ministry for a while now. And I know Pastor Seven agrees with this. But we have to determine in our hearts two things. Number one, we have to ask ourselves this question. What do I really believe? What do I really stand for? Let me put it a little bit deeper. What am I willing to lay it all down for, man? You know what I believe? These men, I think it's real cool that they're up there looking down on us today. They have the same question. Because if we're here and they're preaching to us, they're saying, what are you guys about? What are you about? You're about position? You're about title? Are you about money? Are you about fame? Are you about just being regular? Because, Pastor, before I got saved, I was so abnormal. It feels good just to be normal for a little while. I can't tell you something, friend. Just like my wife says, you're not normal. And you'll never be normal. And you're never going to fit in certain circles. And you're never going to please everybody. So get over it. Just be the man that God has called you to be. Just rise up and reach your destiny for God. But what are you about?
if people were to look at you and see your life and say, what are you about? What would they see? Because pursuit is an indication of passion. What did David say? King David, warrior. He told the Lord, I've been very zealous for the house of God. All these battles, all these bloody wars, all that time in the cave, all that stuff with Saul, all that stuff with the Philistines. Come on. All that stuff I've been through personally. I've been very zealous for the house of the Lord. In other words, take it all away. I'm known for my love for God and for his house and for his people and for his kingdom. What do you stand for? What are you willing to die for? They said, you got to lay it all down. What are you going to put on, red or black? Is there neutral? No, no neutral. Because in the kingdom of God, there is no demilitarized zone. You either fight or die. You either fight or die. And you say, well, I done fought, Pastor. I've been in this thing a long time. My legs don't work. I'm like, your grandma, I got some things going on. I need some surgeries. That's all right. You don't have to fight, but you should coach. You should be a corner man. You should be a cut man. Come on, you should be saying, hey, this is the combination you got to throw. The worst thing to be is a critic. Because men have a tendency to criticize what they can't produce. They have a tendency to talk bad about what they can't produce. Man, well, that's why he's like that, because of this. Hater, just a straight-up hater. Critic. Here we are giving you the tools to produce victory in your life. Things that have been passed on from our mega men to us. And all we stand here today and say, if it worked for them, why not us? <laughs> God, God bless that. <laughs> That's what Pastor Ed said. Pastor Ed, if God can do it for us, why can't he do it for me? Pastor Steve, if God can do it, why can't he do it for me? We, that's, that's how we're coming up. I know it's what's done. If God did it for Pastor Eddie and God did it for my dad, why can't God do it for me? And why can't God do it again and again and again and again and again? Everybody just lift your hands right now. Set an atmosphere. Talk in tongues right now. Reba shandere labaka. You know how to speak in tongues? Come on, go. Shera bandikera la lama Syria. Rebadinda la la basi, kara la 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 basa. 
See, the Holy Spirit can begin to minister. Come on, there's a preaching gift on you, my brother. There's a preaching gift on you, my brother. There's an anointed preaching gift on you. God wants to anoint you to preach his word. Come on, I want to hear you pray. I want to hear you pray. I want to hear you talk to the Lord. Come on, man. We're going to be here for four weeks. Let's set the, let's set the bar high right now. Come on, let's set the bar high right now. If you don't know how to speak in tongues, just tell God I love you and I need your presence in my life. Oh, Come on, Lord, stir our passion. Lord, stir our passion. Lord, stir our passion. Lord, we're not spectators, God. We're not in retreat, God. We're advancing your kingdom. We're not hanging out under a tree. Oh, but we're going to take the devil's territory, even if it be one small acre of land, oh God. Come on, that's it. God is here. If you want to stand or sit, you want to kneel, come on. Eddie, lead us in worship, brother Eddie. Come on. Oh, set an atmosphere. Give myself away. Hey. Myself away. That's it, come on. So you can keep speaking it.